Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Daily Gator Daily Thought. If you're left, you just ain't right with me, Doug Hagan, owner and operator of the DailyGator.net uh, blog that's been going, what now, um, 14 years, almost 15. And again, DailyGator.net, D-A-L-E-Y-G-A-T-O-R.net. Now, we got a lot to talk about today, and I'm going to kind of maybe cruise through some, some things that really aren't that important, but they strike me as important. Uh, but it doesn't take a lot to talk about them. Let's have some hypocrisy, shall we? California, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Mark Sifornia Governor Gavin Newsom, who is, uh, I heard the rumors he may be, may be forced to go to rehab soon for uh hair gel addiction i don't know if that's true but he does look sleazy doesn't he it's like a the world's worst used car salesman and the world's worst phony uh televangelist went uh, went in the back room and made a baby it would be gavin newsom that's how sleazy the the uh the guy looks but california gavin newsom has a message for you evil capitalist pigs that run oil companies, apparently. You either have to stop padding your own purses. In other words, profit's bad. A true Marxist, this uh, Gavin Newsom is. A true, true, true Stalinist. All companies are making money. That's profiteering. And that is evil, according to Gavin Newsom. Uh, so they're making too hefty a profit of profits to the detriment of consumers. Or accept a penalty. In other words, if they don't start uh, charging less for gas, and to hell with their profits, to hell if they can pay their employees, to hell if anything, uh, then because you know if businesses don't make profits, it doesn't take long till they're out of business. Uh, but notice something about Gavin Newsom: the hypocrisy. Guess which state typically has the most or the highest gas prices in the country? Uh, California. That's right. Good old Mark Sifornia. Uh Now, a fellow Democrat, State Senator Nancy Skinner, <clears throat> uh, in, in proposing a penalty for major energy companies complaining of unexplained gas price hikes, it's supply and demand, woman. Supply and demand. Look it up. Have uh, have a have an eight year old explain it to you. Uh, price gouging and of course excessive profits because the government knows how much your company should make. Never mind that if the government took over, uh, gas would soon be about twenty seven dollars a gallon. Uh, you could only get it once a week because there'd be so little of it. And you'd have to show 17 forms of ID just to get gas. And you'd probably have to pass a background check of some sort. But but Democratic lawmakers know what your profit should be, corporations. See, they assume it's greed because they don't like, in their very, very soul, they don't like capitalism. They want the state to run it. That's their dream. That's their God. The God of the left is the state. That's it. That is the God the left worships. Uh, here's what Nancy Skinner said. California's price gouging is, 
excuse me, price gouging penalty is simple. Either big oil reigns in the profits and prices, or there'll be a penalty. And where will that penalty go? It'll go in the coffers of the government of the state of California. I bet it won't go back to the people who are buying gas and using it every day. What do you want to bet? If they really cared about the people, they'd be saying, hey, we're going to tax you. We're going to put that in the fund and we're going to send out checks every month or every two months, whatever time frame uh, to people, the people of the state. But they don't offer that, do they? Oh, no, it goes to the government and then the government spends. So maybe Nancy Skinner can buy a personality one day or Newsom can again enter a, a rehab program for hair gel addiction or something big oil has been lying gouging californians to line their own pockets long enough you ever notice every time the left speaks of profits it's always painted as evil somehow if a business no matter how big or how small doesn't make enough money to pay all their bills buy new products to sell hire people all the things they have to and of course pay all kinds of licenses and permits to cities, counties, and states. They go on a business, and then whoever they employ is out of work. Hmm. Maybe the government officials, the Democratic Party in specific, should should use some common sense when it comes to running a business. But Newsom's proposal tasks state lawmakers with developing a profit cap based on what a refiner is earning from wholesale gasoline prices. The State Energy Commission, meanwhile, would be asked to develop the penalty that would be imposed if the measure becomes law. Putting the governor's proposal in print allows the legislature and the public to begin discussions on this important issue. It's always an important issue. It's so important. Can't you feel how important this is this moment? Now, there's something... Something interesting. Uh, these are people from the state of California, state senator, the governor, and they're angry because people are paying so much to the pump, so much for gas, and they're blaming greed. But uh, Mark Sifornia has, well, I believe the highest state taxes in the country on gasoline. Each state taxes gasoline at different rates. Uh, you go to New York, you go to California, places like that. They're going to tax it more because it's run by Democrats and stupid people keep electing Democrats while they bitch about their taxes, of course. Uh, because of high state taxes, California typically has the highest state average retail price for gasoline in the continental United States. So if they care so much, Newsom and Senator Skinner and all the other uh left-wingers out there in Mark Sifornia, why the hell don't they cut the state uh, taxes on gas? Hmm. Why don't they do that? Why don't they promise to send the money they take from oil companies and give it back to the people if that's such a harsh thing that's happening to the people? Ah, I'd, I'd like to ask Senator, uh, Senator Skinner, the state senator from Mark Sifornia, and the governor, Gavin Newsom, Captain Hairgel, uh, I'd like to ask them exactly those questions. What do you want to bet the media never will? It never will. Now let's move on, my friends. Let's <laughs> let's talk about the latest fake, phony 
staged, oh my God, I'm so offended, moment of outrage. Let's go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is uh, arguing different cases at different times, and they're hearing lawyers from both sides of cases. Uh, But Justice Samuel Alito, my second favorite justice, next to Clarence Thomas, he's being blasted. What did Justice Samuel Alito do? Well, he told a joke. Doesn't he know jokes aren't allowed? Hell, comedians are finally getting the message. And pretty much there's Dave Chappelle, there's Jerry Seinfeld, there's Bill Maher. There's a few that have set up and said, screw you, I'm going to tell jokes. And apparently Samuel Alito is going to say, screw you, I told a joke. But it was the subject of the joke that really offended some people who are, well, they're not easily offended, they're perpetually offended because they are, in fact, professionally uh, offended because that's how they make their living out of phony outrage out of what I call outrageously outrageously outrageous outrage they're always outraged they're always pissed off and they always want to make somebody pay by taking a job away a position away making the person grovel making them pay some kind of fine for something they're always trying to do that And I don't think Samuel Alito, the justice of the Supreme Court, is going to really, he's not going to bend to these people. Samuel Alito has the, what I call, screw you attitude. He's a person who understands when he's right and when outrage is phony, and he's not going to be a pushover, just like Clarence Thomas is not. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments Monday, in one of the most important cases of the term. Uh, A case that will determine if the nation's highest court will or will not allow a person citing their personal religious beliefs to openly discriminate in the marketplace against same-sex couples. I talked about this at length yesterday. But this is not really about the case. It's about this joke. Joke's bad. And... In, the, in likely the most salient and important hypothetical example of Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, you know, the, brand, the newest justice on the Supreme Court, and the woman who doesn't know what the hell a woman is. Can you be a woman if you don't know what a woman is? Hmm, deep thoughts. Uh, but she described in great detail a photographer wanting to recreate scene, uh, scenes from 1940s Christmases with Santa Claus and children and making them historically accurate. I'm sure she was trying to make some type of point here. Uh, she asked the attorney representing the, you can tell this is a mainstream media piece because the language is very, very weighted one way. She asked the attorney representing the right-wing Christian website designer who does not want to have to provide her product to same-sex couples. Basically, she designs websites, and she doesn't want to deal with same-sex marriages. Well, it's her business, so it's pretty simple, I think. If under her legal theory, the hypothetical photographer would have to create photos of a white Santa with black children. I don't know what Katanji Brown-Jackson was trying to, what point she was trying to make. Sounds like she's trying to race bait. 
leftist, but hey, she's a leftist. Uh, Christian Wagoner, the Alliance Defending Freedoms attorney arguing in favor of anti-LGBTQ discrimination. Notice again the bias in the in the piece. It's supposed to be a news piece here. Not a comment, not a commentary, rather, uh, if I am correct. Uh, David Badesh wrote this, so let's blame him for terrible writing. Was forced to admit that the photographer would be able to say they would not take photos of black children with a white Santa. Uh, later, Justice Alito, <clears throat> one of the, listen again to the bias, one of the, of course, most far-right jurists. Look, there's only nine people on the court. So saying someone is one of the most far right, would they say far left for a Sotomayor or Kagan? Would they? I doubt it. Now, if they said stupidest for Sotomayor, that would be, in my opinion, point on. But anyway, they decided to use Justice Jackson's hypothetical analogy to make a point. And Alito did so by mockingly joking. Aren't all jokes really mocking something? Huh. Uh, about black children wearing KKK costumes. Uh, Justice Jackson's example of that, the Santa in the mall who doesn't want his picture taken with black children, uh, Justice Alito began, uh, getting the analogy incorrect. Well, it was a stupid analogy. I don't know if any sane person would understand it because, well, maybe I'm saying Katanji Brown Jackson is uh, has some issues. I don't know. I know she doesn't know what a woman is. So does she know what a joke is? Does she know what Santa Claus is? Does she know what black children are? I mean, you don't know what a woman is. Come on. So if there's a black Santa at the other end of the mall, he doesn't want to have his picture taken with children who is who with a child rather who is dressed up in a KKK outfit. Now does that black Santa have to do that? Shouldn't have to. Of course, what kind of idiot puts her kid in a KKK outfit? You got to be a loser to do that. Colorado Solicitor General Eric Olson replied, no, because the KKK outfits are not protected characteristics under public accommodation laws. And presumably, uh, Justice Sonia Mayor interjected, that would be the same uh, KKK outfit, regardless of whether the child is black or white or any other characteristic. That's when Alito decided to make a joke while thousands of Americans were listening to the court's live proceedings. Oh, my God. Thousands were listening and they heard a joke. Oh, God. Our, our democracy is doomed. Close Twitter down. Ban everybody from Facebook. Kill Elon Musk. Kill all the right-wingers. Uh, that's when Alito made the joke. He said, you do see a lot of black children in KKK outfits all the time, he said. Again, sarcasm. I love sarcasm. He then laughed, and some viewers in the gallery laughed with him. So you not only told a joke that you laughed at, you told a joke others laughed at, you must be a racist if you're a right-winger. Many on social media, <laughs> uh, they were, guess what? Guess what? Two things they were, these people on social media. Yes, they were angry. They were offended. 
and outraged. I don't know if they were outrageously outraged, uh, but they were outrageously offended, probably. Uh, then the uh, the uh, attack began on Alito by the left, which does these personal attacks because what else do they have? Common sense, reason, logic, facts. No, 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 and no. Uh, he is so inappropriate today and offensive. That's what Cheryl, I feel. I feel she's a pain in the ass, but I don't know how she feels. But Cheryl and I feel the former president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund said, the black kids in the KKK outfit's not funny. Is this the highest court of the most powerful country in the world? Good grief. She was really pissed, really outraged. Now, the odd thing about Cheryl, I feel offended, who was the former protect, uh, excuse me, president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. The odd thing to me about her being so offended is that she was director counsel and president of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Now, don't get me wrong, but if anybody on TV started referring to black people as colored people, how long do you think they would be on TV or the radio or writing for a newspaper or anything? It wouldn't take them long for somebody to fire the idiot because you don't call them colored. That's now offensive. And it had been that way a long time. When I was a kid, I remember people talking about how offensive that, uh, that the, the term colored was. Of course, the less been saying people of color, is which is basically the same as saying colored. But this group, the NAACP, in my opinion, the only way to find justice for them, because these people always want justice, 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 is for themselves to either change their name from the NAACP, C being for colored, or they need to sue themselves. Yes, they should sue themselves. Maybe they'll take it all the way to the Supreme Court. But they should change their name by using their standards. They're hypocrites. I, I would think that telling a joke about uh, black kids in KKK outfits might be offensive to some. It depends on the joke. It might be offensive to KKK members. We are really, really cares about them, frankly. Screw those guys, because they're jackasses. I call them dunces in, uh, excuse me, jackasses and dunce caps, morons and dunce caps. That's what they are. <clears throat> but <laughs> the hypocrisy of the NAACP, with a C being for colored, yet they bark at everyone else for saying offensive things about black people. Find a mirror, look in it. Hold up a sign. It has the what your organizations, the N, the A, the A, the other, the NC and P all stand for, and ask yourself if that's racist or not. NAACP. Ask yourself. Now, minutes later, NYU School of Law professor, um, hold on, it's the New York School of Law professor of law. I think someone messed that up. Uh, Melissa Murray weighed in 
saying, I'm going to need Justice Alito to stop joking about seeing black children in KKK out uh, costumes. You're going to need that? That's like an important thing of your, part of your life? You're going to see Melissa Murray out with signs. Please make Justice Alito stop telling jokes. It hurt my feelings. Uh, the joke about the black kids in the KKK outfits, I feel also lamented. No, Justice Alito, these jokes are so inappropriate, no matter how many in the courtroom chuckle mindlessly. So they're offensive. What if he called all the black children colored kids? Would that be offensive? I mean, since you're, you're, you're in tight with the NAACP, and we know now what the C in, in NAACP stands for, stands for colored, that's a racist term. So either shut up or have the NAACP change their name. See how I can solve problems, people. A Columbia University professor of law, Catherine Frank, tweeted, Justice Alito is resorting to KKK jokes. Ha, ha, ha. If that's what's at stake here is funny. And it isn't taking place in the context, it's context in which LGBTQ people feel like we have a target on our backs. And um, 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 clan jokes aren't funny under any context. That depends. Like the joke that would start out, did you see the five KKK guy gets run, get run over by a truck? Yeah, that's funny. Now, the Rewire News Group, whoever the hell they are, uh, they tweeted in all caps. So they were really angry. The all caps, baby. Uh, they, uh, they tweeted, I knew Alita wouldn't be able to resist bringing up the Ku Klux Klan. And then what the hell, Sam? Well, I think it's very disrespectful to to refer to a Supreme Court justices just by their first name and just a shortened version. What are you trying to do? Minimalize? You're trying to attack Samuel Alito? You hate Italian people? White people? Men? Heterosexuals? Why do you why are you a hater? Rewire News Group. And how did you know he was going to bring up the Klan? In this case. You didn't. You're just trying to sound dramatic and pretend you're important. You're not. Ah, pathetic. And you know what? Justice Samuel Alito could give you know how many you know what's less about this noise. Now let me get a a, a, a kind of quick story here from the dailygator.net. I've heard there's a hell of a blog, hell of a site. Heard the guy who runs it. Handsome, single, just saying, ladies. Quite a catch there. Uh, the title of it is, And Everything Was Based in White Supremacy. And here's, here's why I wrote that. The libs of TikTok, a national treasure, tweeted uh, this teacher talking about uh, her issues with America and teaching and... You know, things like that. And basically, she tied it all somehow back to white supremacy. Have a listen, my friends. As an educator, I am constantly worried if I am part of the problem. What do I mean by that? Well, public education is an institution that upholds lots of problematic systems in our society, like white supremacy and misogyny and colonization, etc. In my role as an educator, I try to undermine that BS in my classroom as much as I possibly can. I teach high school English and whoo, the white supremacy runs deep. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at how we write essays. Start with an introduction that includes a thesis. Always cite your sources. Use transition words like however and therefore. 
These are all made up rules. They're arbitrary. They were created by Westerners in power. In linguistic justice, April Baker Bell calls this the language of respectability or the language of power. Which got me thinking, what if I started my school year with a unit honoring how we talk rather than teaching students how to write properly? So this is the start of my series on teaching linguistics in high school. And there you have it. I have no freaking clue what this idiot is babbling about. Of course, you have rules in writing. But she doesn't like it. It's all a bunch of Westerners came up with this. You know where women and minorities and different religions are treated best? In the West. That's right. Uh, Western values are the best in the world. They're most tolerant, the most inclusive, uh, and the most uplifting values of any people on earth. That's where people are treated best have the most liberty, the most personal autonomy in the West. Men, women, gay people, straight people, black people, purple people, all of them, vegetarians, meat eaters, gun owners, Southerners, Yankees, everybody benefits from being in Western culture. And yet here's this dumb woman who shouldn't be teaching anybody anything is, is poisoning the minds of her students, telling them that Western culture is bad. White people, white supremacies everywhere. I mean, this is the kind of person who I remember when I was a kid, when you would, when I was taught by my grandparents, my parents, if you're going into a store and someone's right there with you, you don't know, you hold the door for them. If you're a male, if there's no one else, the people you're with, you hold it for the, the ladies and put it for the people in your family to go in. Then you go in last. I was taught this. It was kind of a thing expected by males called manners. She wouldn't know anything about it. It's called class. She wouldn't know anything about it. She just announces white supremacy and racism and the West is horrible. And oh my God, she's so offended. But again, that's where people are treated with the most utmost respect in the West under Western values. She doesn't like Westernism. She doesn't like Western values. She doesn't like white supremacy. She thinks all these things are bad, all these traditions. Why does she hate traditions? She doesn't hate all traditions. I'm sure she would have her teaching be the example for every teacher. But again, teaching students that somehow the West is bad, America's bad, men are bad, everything's white supremacy. It's all about the patriarchy, all about blah, 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 and to reject all the rules. And, you know, there are rules in the world that, that are out there that I think are stupid. But you know what? I respect them. Because if you go to someone's house and you know their family's from a culture that does something, I would honor it for them. I would, if I knew, uh, and I wouldn't presume anything about them until I got to know them. This lady, basically, she just, she just wants to teach kids. I don't know. And notice how she really demonized having a thesis, if you write an essay, and citing sources. Sources are bad, almost as bad as freedom of speech, unless it's her doing it. What's wrong with citing sources? I would ask her that question. What, what is wrong with citing a source? If you're imparting knowledge to someone, if you're, dare I say, teaching 
wouldn't you need sources to back yourself up and say, here, if you don't believe me, check these, check this, check this, check this, check, check the sources. When we used to have a, a press that actually knew what journalism was, the sources were very important. Apparently, she doesn't like that either. I don't know what she does like. I know I don't like her attitude very much at all. And now, my friends, let's go to Canada. Not literally. The Great White North, the birthplace of the great sport of hockey. Uh... Again, we go to the dailygator.net. I wrote this uh, yesterday. And the headline is, so if you are ever in Canada and they offer you a maid, it, just uh, say no, trust me. A paraplegic former member of the Canadian military uh, shocked MPs on Thursday by testifying that the Department of Veterans Affairs offered her, in writing, the opportunity for a medically-assisted death. Yes, you heard me right. Remember when people used to say, once you start down the road to euthanasia, it, uh, it will be bad. It will eventually go to from euthanasia and socialized medicine and, and abortion on demand. It will eventually get to the point where it's uh, not a choice for you. And this is kind of about that road. But again, the Department of Veterans Affairs in Canada, this is a former Canadian military, also a member of the, or formerly, I guess, she's a retired Corporal Christine Gauthier, a competitor for Canada at the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Paralympics and the Invictus Games that same year. She spoke before the House of Commons Veterans Committee and agreed to provide a copy of the letter she received. And again, in writing, she was offered the opportunity for a medically assisted death and even was offered uh, that the equipment needed would be provided to her. With respect to me, she said, I have a letter in my file because I had to face that as well, said Gauthier, referring to the debate about veterans being offered the option of medical assistance in dying. That's where they get made from. Medical assistant, assistance in dying. I have a letter saying that if you're so desperate, madam, and she's quoting from this letter, if you're so desperate, madam, we can offer you made medical assistance in dying. Uh, said Gauthier, who was first injured her back in a training accident in 1989. Now, what she was trying to get, she had put in a request for a, a uh, ramp for a wheelchair to her home, I believe, was what she was trying to get. And apparently she was trying to expedite it so she could get it sooner, which you would understand. And you would understand someone who had been the Canadian on a Canadian Olympic team who was a veteran would, you know, be probably owed that. Let me see. I want to get to the, the part about uh, what she was actually asking for. Testifying in French, she said she had been fighting for a home wheelchair ramp for five years. See how fast socialized medicine works? 
and expressed her concerns about the assisted dying offer in a recent letter to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, uh, the world's wimpiest leader. I sent a letter to Prime Minister Trudeau and that they, uh, Veterans Affairs offered me made, again, medical assistance and dying is what that stands for, and with supply equipment. Uh, Gauthier did not say when the assisted death offer was made, whether it came from a case manager or a veteran service agent, uh, or when she wrote to the Prime Minister on Friday, Prime Minister Trudeau recall, uh, called the report of what happened to Gauthier as absolutely unacceptable and said the government took action the moment it heard of other cases. So other people have, have reported this. So basically, if you, if you need assistance with something, like a wheelchair ramp in this case, uh, and the Canadian government, in effect, offers you an option to kill yourself, we'll make it easy for you. Tell you what, we'll bring a 357 Magnum and two bullets. How's that? I mean, we told you it would happen. Once you cheapen human life, my friends, with abortion on demand, uh, with the idea of physician-assisted suicide. Look, there's, I've been through this with uh, with my mother when she was told by her nephrologist that her kidneys were, were becoming closer and closer to being non-functional, that she would have the choice of going into dialysis, which she decided to take at my urging, or if she wanted to forego that then it would be a matter of uh getting hospice involved and and basically treating the cust the uh the dying person as best they could i guess and nature would take its course because of that your kidneys functioning well you it's not going to be very long so she had that choice i had nothing to do with it i told her my opinion and the doctor was very honest. She had a very good doctor at the time that told her, look, this is, this is what we're dealing with. This, this is the, uh, this is the diagnosis. There's a big difference in that. And the government call, calling you and saying, Hey, how you feeling today? <laughs> I mean, you know, what every Wednesday, what first Wednesday of every month, they're going to call you now. Yeah. Hey, uh, how you doing? Hey, this is, uh, this is the Canadian government. Hey, uh, you got your toque on? It's kind of cold outside. Watching a hockey game? All right, very nice. Yeah, it's snowing. It's always snowing here. Uh, anyway, we want to know, uh, you get your your wheelchair ramp yet? Hey, hey, no, no. Well, uh, we can come by and, and kill you. Send you some stuff to kill yourself with. You won't have to worry about the wheelchair. What do you say? You also get a free coupon for a burger at a house Burgers on the corner there. I mean, this should not be the role of government. And if you disagree with me, you've hurt my feelings. You've offended me and triggered me. And I'm going to call you bad names on Twitter now. Racist. And now the, I guess the feature story of the day. We go to statelymcdanielmanor.wordpress.com The genius of Mike McDaniel, one of the best writers out there, and he had a piece on the 30th. This was uh, just a few days ago. Uh, what about six days ago? The 
the Waki is a Wakisha or Wakesha. I'm not sure. The last version I heard was Waukesha. So the Waukesha massacre, harbinger of a national divorce. That's the title of his piece. And that was where, of course, the guy who should have been in, in prison, locked up for life already for multiple violent offenses. Uh, he's more angry than my cat. But anyway, uh, he, he was uh, basically ran through a Christmas parade with a SUV and never slowed down, by the way. Uh, killed some people, uh, wounded a whole bunch of other people. Horrific mass murder spree is what he went on. Yet the the media wasn't really hot to, to go after this story. Now, if he'd have, have shot that many people, it would have been front page news over and over and over. But he used a, he just used a several thousand pound car to do it. So that's different. I guess it's a nicer way to kill people in a mass mass uh, killing incident. Uh, the uh, Babylon Bee had a great cartoon on it. And it has a news van. Uh, the picture on their website. Uh, a, a news van, basically. And the title is, Journalists Rush to Scene of Shooting to Determine Whether It's Politically Useful. Because, you know, that matters too. We've heard a lot less about the Colorado... Uh, shooting at the uh, LGBTQ nightclub since uh, since the defendant and that the guy charged the guy who everybody feels did it uh, came out as well non-binary and made wanted to make sure the court referred to him by the, his preferred pronouns see as soon as it wasn't a right wing straight shooter suddenly it, when you couldn't blame it on Trump or Republicans it didn't become as as Important story somehow to the media. <clears throat> but anyway, Mike McDaniel writes of this mass killing incident where this guy used an SUV to mow people down. He writes, one would think this is a major news story, a story with, as they say, legs. And let's review it. A madman drives through a Christmas parade, wantonly killing young and old alike. It's horror on Main Street, a horrific attack on middle America on American values. But no, it didn't fit any social justice narrative. In fact, it obliterated them and threatened to call attention to Democrat, socialist, communist, uh, deadly pro-criminal policies. That's the political party that's behind bail reform, the early release. Uh, yeah, give them bail. They're, they're in here for carjack or attempted carjacking, their second offense. They turn them loose. Couple hours later, they're on the street with another legal gun, killing a nine-year-old girl. Accidental, but still, that story is from Chicago, and almost killed another young girl. Other, I think the other girl was nine too. Just happened to be the wrong place, at the wrong time, where this jackass decided he was going to shoot at a rival gang member, and he's out free walking around, and apparently he had no problem getting another legal gun. So we need more gun laws. Maybe that would stop him because, well, no, he broke the other law, so he'll break that law. But maybe the answer was not having him on the street. Back to Mike McDaniel here. The killer you see, general readers, was not a white supremacist, not a racist, not a transphobe, not a homophobe, not a hater of minor attracted persons. He was not at all sympathetic to sane people. The killer wasn't even gay or trans. He wasn't a violent black felon. 
and the people he murdered, he was a violent black felon. I think I said was, and I'm sorry. He was a violent black felon, and the people he murdered were all white. So they have white privilege. The media doesn't care about them. There were no political points to be made, no one to cancel, no one to hate, no money to be made. No lying to be done in Congress, no blaming guns, none of the essential elements of the preferred narratives. Oh, they could have blamed SUVs, that's what the killer used to murder, but for some reason, they couldn't surprisingly stoop quite that low. So most of the media made an initial tiny report, and then, apart from a few stories about the killer's bizarre courtroom antics, he chose to defend himself, and it was nuttiness, dropped it. They couldn't even bring themselves to trot out their most reliable tactic, blaming Donald Trump. Or at least not in a way anyone would notice, Breitbart reported on the killer's arrest and background. Uh, some of the most, some of the media made an initial time to report, and then apart from a few stories, again, about the killer's bizarre court romantics, dropped it. And from Breitbart, uh, we get the background of this guy. According to Wisconsin court records, a 39-year-old uh, Daryl E. Brooks of Milwaukee has one pending charge of felony bell jumping and one charge of felony second-degree reckless, recklessly endangering safety with domestic abuse assessments. He also has one misdemeanor charge of resisting a police officer, disorderly conduct, and battery the alleged offenses occurred on November 2nd, 2021. The same Brooks was released on a $1,000 bond on November 19th, just two days before the attack. AP has linked these court records to the person identified by their law enforcement resources. Police reportedly discovered Brooks' ID in the Red Ford Escape they recovered after the incident. This is horrendous. And there's a video here, or a, a picture of the video, that uh, was run on 12 News on uh, Wisconsin. And the images show the moment a driver in an SUV plowed through the Waukesha Christmas Parade this afternoon. 20 people also, uh, excuse me, all at least 20 people have been injured. We're waiting on more updates. Here's what we know. And that was a very early report. One witness told WISN that the driver hit the group Dancing Grannies, I guess they had this parade every year, where at least one person flipped over the hood of the SUV. The driver kept plowing and did not stop. One witness estimated that the vehicle was traveling at 40 miles an hour. Uh, there were moms and dads yelling for their kids, people running around. One witness told Fox News Digital, when I rewatched the video, I could hear people talking and they were like, there's eight people injured down there. We need an ambulance over here. There's one lady kneeling on the ground crying. Uh, 19-year-old Braden Kowalski said that bodies were flying everywhere. He's just blowing through people, kind of just dinging a lot of people, bodies flying everywhere, Kowalski said. These people didn't get run over. They got fucking thrown through the air. Like a lot of people got tossed up into the air. You could see the fragments of brains, he added. There were quite a few people with broken limbs, like a lot of broken legs, a lot of people shouting with broken legs. It was horrifying. And the picture of the Ford Escape he was driving, 
there was uh, one taken, or, and literally you can see some pretty massive damage to the front end and, and hood of the car, or the, the SUV. 40 miles an hour. Look to me, when I saw the video, he was, and you don't want to watch it, trust me. It looked like he was going more than 40. As one would sadly expect, McDaniel writes, Democrats, socialists, and communists tried to blame the attack on Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah, that guy. It's all his fault. I mean, he defended himself from people trying to kill him with a firearm. He's got to be bad because he's not a Democrat. He had been acquitted days earlier, and Americans who recognize the unalienable right to self-defense were also to blame. Uh, take the uh, take the case of Mary Lemansky. She tweeted this following this man running through this crowd, running people over, butchering them with a an SUV. It was probably just self-defense. Hashtag Wisconsin. Hashtag Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, Mary Lemansky also tweeted, The blood of Kyle Rittenhouse's victim is on the hands of Wisconsin citizens, even the children. So in other words, there were children run down in this too and killed. It was the blood of Kyle Rittenhouse's victims is on the hands of these children. So in other words, she's hinting that these kids had it coming. Because white guy, conservative, I assume, Kyle Rittenhouse, lawfully defended himself against people trying to kill him. And because he was acquitted, or he never should have been charged, frankly, then we had to have we had to have uh, an episode where a black man ran down white people, even children, because they had it coming somehow. This is a deeply disturbed person, this Mary Lewanski. Then she also tweeted, you reap what you sow, Wisconsin. Lemansky was far from the only Democrat socialist communist, Mike McDaniel writes, making similar comments. Surprisingly, the Wisconsin Democratic Party quickly distanced itself, distanced itself from that kind of hate. The media's ignoring of the reality of the attack was necessary in part to cover prosecutorial misconduct. Once a suspect, Daryl Brooks Jr. was identified, the story became clear. Brooks was a career criminal, or a repeat offender, however you like to classify him, most recently accused of, listen closely, running over the mother of his child with a vehicle in a gas station parking lot on November 2nd. On November 5th, he was charged with second-degree recklessly endangering safety with domestic abuse assessments, disorderly conduct with dis domestic abuse assessments, and felony bail jumping. At the time these offense, of these offenses, he was already on bail after being accused of, listen closely, shooting at his nephew in July of 2020. Just a real all-world all great guy right there. What a role model for Democrats. In other words, Brooks had already attempted to kill his nephew and his baby's mother. He was a flight risk and a danger to the community. On November 19th, the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, he was in custody at this time, let him go for a $1,000 bail because bail's racist. Days later, the firefighters were hosing down the blood off the streets when this psycho ran him down with a Ford Escape. 
The release of a violent felon on a $1,000 bail was a culmination of years of reform by Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm, who was touted in 2015 as a national leader in law enforcement, at least according to progressive values, as promoted by the Liberal Vera Institute. Prosecutors have to define their proper role in a new era. Chisholm stuck out his neck out there and started saying that prosecutors should also be judged by their successes in reducing mass incarceration and achieving racial equality. Not, not one of those things has a damn thing to do with who should be locked up, who should get tougher bail. And when you commit violent felonies, that needs to carry a greater weight, not their skin color, not mass incarceration. If, if you have too many people in prison, you know what? The guy who wrote some bad checks, let him walk. Let him walk instead and, and then put the violent felon in there. Lock them away. Lock the most dangerous people up. I know that's crazy. The Holy Preventable Murders Rampage, McDaniels continues, in, Wauk in Wauk Waukesha wasn't the first time Chisholm's policies caused lives to end. And Chisholm predicted this back in 2007 where he stated, is there going to be an individual I divert or I put into a treatment program who's going to go out and kill somebody? Chisholm said in a 2007 interview with the Journal Sentinel, you bet, guaranteed, it's guaranteed to happen. It does not invalidate the overall approach. In other words, there's any number of people that will lose their lives violently and needlessly and destroy how many people's lives who love them. That price is certainly not too high to pay for his social justice reforms to be glorified and to be put into place. Have I mentioned today one of my most prolific sayings, one of the sayings I, I come up with the most, is the price, there is no price too high, rather, for good people to pay for leftist policies to be furthered. The left doesn't care. They're going to do what they're going to do. However many people it kills, they could give a you-know-what less. It damned well ought to invalidate Chisholm, McDaniel opines. It ought to invalidate this racist demon as well. A Milwaukee Black Lives Matter activist said the Christmas parade attack in Waukesha, Wisconsin, appears to be, appears to signal, rather, the revolution may have begun. I don't know. Now we'll have to wait and see because they do, they do have somebody in custody. We may have to wait and see what they say about why this happened. That is from Vaughn Mays. He said that on Facebook Live on Monday following this Waukesha incident. Uh, but it sounds possible that the revolution has started in Wisconsin. It started with this Christmas parade. In other words, you white people, you got it coming. You Republicans, you got it coming. Anybody who opposes uh, racial justice as the left defines it in a perversely flawed, morally, morally reprehensible fashion. You got to pay now. Again, uh, what a what a winner. What a winner. Another Black Lives Matter activist. You know, Black Lives Matter 
seems to be more about money and getting good real estate deals and empowering themselves and not really doing a damn thing to help black people or anyone's life. Sounds to me like it's a bunch of scamming scammers. As the Washington Free Beacon reported, the media continued to ignore the attack. Wednesday's edition of the Washington Post included a brief mention of the mass death event in the bottom left-hand corner of the front page. The New York Times similarly downplayed the significance of the sixth death in Wisconsin crash. Just a crash? No, it was a massacre of people. It was as bad as any mass shooting you could name. It was as bad as someone getting a hold of, uh, I don't know, passing out uh, treats to people, laced with flint, fentanyl and people dying, as bad as any, any serial killer could ever be. But according to the Washington Compost and the New York Slimes, eh, six people did in Wisconsin crash. Again, that's your media for you. CNN, meanwhile, was not featuring a single story about the Waukesha tragedy on its homepage as of Wednesday afternoon. This is Wednesday afternoon after the attack. The news network, however, did, they did prominently feature an analysis piece. Oh, finally, they're going to cover this, right? Actually, the piece headlined, Biden spends a message of hope as an anxious nation readies for Thanksgiving as well as a report that former President Donald Trump now has a ninth-degree black belt in Taekwondo. So there you have it. It's a longer piece. There's more there, and, and McDaniel's a brilliant writer. He's a national treasure, my friends. You should definitely take time to read it. That's all I have for today. And just think about what, how blatant and how obvious the left's hatred of this country is now. Their lack of any moral fiber, any moral value. You're talking about a party that is basically heartless, soulless Marxist bastards now. For, for 90% of them. They, they ignore things that shouldn't. They're not serious about law enforcement. They don't respect any, any life until it's born, apparently. They are members of the Democratic Party, have what, tried to shut down crisis pregnancy centers that don't push abortion on these girls that go in there? In fact, they want them shut down. Senator Liz Warren, Senator Karen, the mega Karen, she wants them all shut down by the government. The hell with the women who choose to go there, or maybe they choose to go there because they don't want an abortion. Again, women have a choice. But they better make the right choice or else. Right, Senator Warren? Basically, your Democratic Party is a party of rot, folks. This shows that the media, so much the entertainment industry, is disgusting, quite frankly. The things they defend. The things they tolerate. They have no moral outrage. Unless, you know, Donald Trump farts in an elevator and doesn't say excuse me immediately. Yet, they tolerate this. They want to use every mass shooting excuse to take your guns away like that would actually solve the problem of psychopaths. Yet, at the same time, things like this happen, mass killings, and they don't care. Always making excuses for bad people. <clears throat> Never good people. That's your Democratic Party. 
because the Democratic Party is no more. I know parties don't change, but they do change. And your Democratic Party has changed a lot. If John Kennedy were alive and running today, you know what the Democratic Party would call John Kennedy? A radical right-winger. White supremacist, maybe. A bigot. A religious zealot. God help this country, my friends. If we don't get it through our heads, what one of our two major parties is about. And that's it for me. God bless you. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Whenever you listen, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, To contribute to this podcast and my blog, thedailygator.net, simply, my friends, go to uh, anchor.fm.doughagan, and there's a page there where you can sign up to your monthly contributor if you choose. God bless you, and thank you if you do. Uh, Until next time, my friends, which should be tomorrow, we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you. And remember, three golden rules to life, my friends. Follow these. Go Gators. God bless America. And if you're left, you just ain't right. This is the dailygator.net out, my friends. Have a good one.